It's Boomers and More, a podcast for the baby boom generation. Views expressed on this program are those of our guests and hosts and should never be taken as professional advice. In other words, you're on your own, kid. Okay, Boomer, here are your hosts, Randy Kendrick and Bob Heidi. And we are here. Hi, Bob. On your own. On your own, man. Our advice is worthless. Do not take any kind of uh, of uh, wisdom that we may have to offer because it is worth every penny you may be paying for it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're here uh, without uh, fear of litigation. Yeah, that's right. We, we have the disclaimer in place, so if anybody follows our advice, they're on their own, man. They are in trouble, too. <laughs> well, today's podcast, we're going to talk about something that uh, most people of our ages, uh, we won't say exactly what those are right now, but probably remember, and that is road tripping it with the family as a kid. Do uh, you have any fond memories or not so fond memories of that, Bob? Oh, of course I do. When I was a little guy, uh, my brother, mother, father, and I would go road tripping. And uh, we'd go from Baltimore, which is where we lived at the time, Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, go up into the mountains of Western Maryland or up into Pennsylvania, over into Washington, down to the Chesapeake Bay. Of course, up in uh, Pennsylvania, you can get on the Pennsylvania Turnpike and every 20 miles, it seemed, there was a Howard Johnson's. And uh, in Maryland, of course, there were always uh, little places that were well-known. In Frederick, there was, I think it was called Barbara Fritchie's. And uh, it was well-known all over the state. And uh, we'd go down to Ocean City. And, of course, along the way would be all kinds of little specialty places that were fun to go to. Enchanted Forest, which was right outside of Baltimore. So, yeah, I have a lot of uh, very fond memories of those days. And uh, in our, let's see, what was it? I think it was a 1952 Plymouth station wagon. Vintage. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, that thing had the uh, the turning radius of a Sherman <laughs> tank. And probably no power steering, I would assume, either. And no power steering. And I don't think that it had shock absorbers or springs on it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a station wagon, or was this a sedan? Or It was a station wagon. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it, it was, uh, it might have been older than that, because it was... The front end of it was a Dodge, and from the windshield back was a Plymouth. So it was... So it was a Johnny was right Cash one-piece-at-a-time car? Or? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> Knowing my father, it might have been. But, uh, I think it was probably more uh, post-World War II, uh, just uh, take any parts you could get and put together a car and sell it as quick as you could, you know, because as you rem- probably know, you know, stories from your father and everything after the war uh everything went crazy people were buying left and right buying homes buying cars anything they could spend money on they were doing yeah and and you know the station wagon i guess it was the minivan or the suv now of its uh, of its era everybody had Absolutely. one I, yeah. I know before we had a station wagon we actually in my family we had a uh when we lived in, in uh, California, my dad bought, the, I think it was the first brand new car that he'd ever bought. It was a 1964 uh, Chevy Impala station wagon. And that thing, we took it everywhere. 
And one of the things that uh, always happened with me and my, my sisters, uh, we always would fight over who's on whose side of the seat. You know, it's uh, always a battle for the real estate in the uh, automobile. I think you've, you've shown me pictures of that car before. I have. Yeah, that was a beautiful car. And I wish I, I had that now. The one we had before that, um, and I wish I still had this one too. My dad bought, uh, when we lived in Texas, he bought a 1957 Chevrolet. Uh, but that's, that's a real classic car now too. But I, I tell you, one of the memories I have, and you talk about stopping at some of the uh, little stores and places along the roadside. This is one that my sister Connie and I uh, talk about uh, once in a while. The first car that she remembers we had a used 1950 Ford, and it was a sedan. Those cars weren't so big back then, but uh, my world before about 1962 was purely between Houston, Texas, and Oklahoma City, and uh, traveling to see grandparents, and that was it. But uh, those were all by road trips, and we would stop at those stores, and we would always get candy cigarettes, and they had the end of those things painted kind of a glowing orange, and so at uh-huh. nighttime, we would hold those up and you know, act, act like we were smoking in the back seat. And we'd hold the candy cigarettes up so that the lights from the cars behind us would hit that glowing end and make it look like it was on fire. And we, you know, we were really big into smoking candy cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, same here. On the other side of the country, I was doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> now, speaking of these road trips, do you remember how parents would keep the kids... Um, occupied do you remember the little games that um, they, they would be able to buy at you know roadside stands and stuff for kids to play like yeah. uh, little little tiny little uh, what was it Chinese checkers games and all sorts of of uh, ways to keep the kids amused so they wouldn't be going are we there yet are we there yeah. every 15 seconds? Like the, uh, they had the little roadside bingo things, things you'd see along the road, and you'd slide over the little plastic window, and uh, there were those. Um, also, we used to make up games like uh, finding all the letters of the alphabet in order on license plates as they went by, and, or seeing how many states we would see cars from. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, good, good times of uh, an era gone by, but in, uh, in post-World uh, War II in the 1950s, uh, when people were finally able to go out, the depression was over, the war was over, everybody was getting new cars, like you said, and and uh, traveling. I know we, I have, as a child, I had been all the way, the uh, whole route of Route 66 from, a, except for about the last 150 miles south of Chicago, but from about, oh, the middle of Illinois, all the way out to Santa Monica Beach in California, uh, we had covered that. And one, one of the things I remember about that talking about these roadside shops, uh, there was a uh, uh, sign by the side of the road every so often, and all it had was a, a, a silhouette of a jackrabbit, and then it had a mileage next to it. So a picture of a jackrabbit, and then next to it maybe, you know, 800 miles, or wh- however long it was. And it's for hundreds of miles, you start seeing these things in Missouri. And by the time you get down to it, you're wondering what in the heck this jackrabbit is. <laughs> then you go and on the side of the road, somewhere out in the desert in Arizona, there's a little uh, jackrabbit trading post. <laughs> and they are famous for those signs. So it's kind of a, a letdown in a big way. But then uh, the big sign when you get there, the signs get bigger and bigger. And by the time you get there, this is it. <laughs> and the big right. jackrabbit on there. Uh, and, and then going through the desert back then, we... On one of our trips, we were uh, traveling, moving actually from Southern California to Delaware. 
So that was about as far of a trip as you can go in the lower 48 to move. And the cars going across the desert out there in the uh, southwest, back then they always had these uh, canvas water bags that they'd hang on the front of the car to keep the uh, water cool and evaporated. And uh, we would also, during some of our trips back to Oklahoma to see family, we um, had a, a dog, a cat, and a bird in the car with us. And this bird, we had to keep spraying him with uh, water from a little spray bottle to keep him cool enough to survive the desert. <laughs> wow. Now, just out of curiosity, how many siblings did you have? Back then, I had two. I had have uh, two sisters that are two or three years uh, younger than me. And then uh, my, my brother didn't come along until we lived in Delaware. He was He's, he's about uh, a dozen years younger than me. So he barely pulls into the baby boom generation, but he still claims it. And so we'll let him. <laughs> he, he's... Uh, He's right on the tail end of it. And proudly so. I think so. Yeah. So what, what are some of the places that, uh, that you recall stopping at along the highway, other than the ones you mentioned? Were there any change or were they mostly uh, just local establishments along the uh, exits there? Besides, I know the Pennsylvania Turnpike had the service turnoffs that were contracted. But uh, beyond that, what, do you remember any of those? Well, the Pennsylvania Turnpike had Howard Johnson's every every few miles i mean they they were they were everywhere yeah um, but you know my parents would always stop at um now this is back when route 40 was uh, the main drag yeah and uh, through the state and so you know it was not unusual to pull into a small town and um, go somewhere to uh, you know to shop or to eat at some little uh, well-known store in that community. And my brother and I would uh, always want to stop at places like Stuckey's, for example, or uh, Howard Johnson's, or a lot of the places that were alongside the road. But we never, we didn't, well, I can't say we didn't ever, but uh, we didn't do it as much as we wanted to because there are always things like candy. Oh, yeah. And fun things for kids. But my parents really enjoyed the things like uh, Barbara Fritchie's and some of the things that I was telling you about. So um, I always wanted to go hang out, though, in those places on, alongside the roadways. Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's one, and, and we've got a great guest coming up on the show today. But we've uh, got one company that is trying to make a comeback, and it's not Howard Johnson's, but you did mention them, and this may bring back some memories. <laughs> Take a stucky stop, make a stucky stop. It's the highway stop with style. Take a stucky stop, make a stucky stop. Take a five-minute stretch mm-hmm. or browse for a while. So there's your browsing for a while and spending uh, money getting some candy and some uh, souvenirs. And, and Stuckies, as you may remember, had a whole bunch of uh, crazy little souvenir items and that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you always ask for those things and, you know, ask the parents because you obviously don't have the income back then that we do to... Oh, well, maybe we don't have any more either, but <laughs> at one time, uh, where we just go in and buy whatever the souvenirs we wanted, but uh, they had some really off-the-wall souvenirs. I, I remember one in particular that I liked a lot was the Mexican jumping beans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you remember yeah. those? Sure, and, and caps, and, um, you know, the, all kinds of little things that were, you know, aimed for um, the uh, child consumer in all of this. 
there were so many of those things at some of those places that I used to just want desperately for my parents to buy. And of course, we were little, my parents were young and just starting out. So of course, they weren't uh, real eager to spend a lot of money on those sorts of things. Yeah, I I tell you what, I am looking forward to uh, playing for our audience this uh, interview coming up. The interview, let me just uh, say, it is uh, the current CEO of Stuckey's Corporation, uh, Stephanie Stuckey. She's a very interesting person, very accomplished person in her life as well. I mean, she's done everything from uh, getting a law degree to uh, serving in the uh, legislature in Georgia to being the city of Atlanta sustainability director. So, uh, and now she's back trying to resuscitate the business that her grandfather started. And she's got a lot of interesting things to tell us about. And uh, so I think our audience will enjoy that. So after the break, we will come to that interview and play that for you. And then we'll be back right after that. So Stephanie Stuckey coming up when we return. This is the Boomers and More podcast. and more podcasts. I'm Randy Kendrick. For many of us in the baby boom generation, there are fond memories of traveling across the United States in the back of the family station wagon. One constant across the country besides battling siblings for seat space, getting 18 wheelers to sound their horns and playing the license plate alphabet game was seeing many locations of a company that once dotted the highways and byways across America. The stop at a roadside stuckies for gasoline, stretching the legs in a pecan log roll, are ingrained in so many of our collective memories. We have a great guest today. She is an accomplished businesswoman, a former legislator in the state of Georgia, and is on a mission to revitalize her family's business. She is the CEO of Stuckey's Corporation. Stephanie Stuckey, welcome to the Boomers and More podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, One of the first things I wanted to get out of the way, I know that there's some um, debate about whether it's pecan or pecan. Right. I was uh, raised in, uh, <laughs> largely by Texans and Oklahomans, and we all said uh, pecan. So how, how would you say it? Wow. So you prefaced it with the way you all like to say it. So I might need to alter my usual response. But how I say it is pecan. I get a lot of jokes for it. I'm from middle Georgia. What can I say? I grew up saying it that way. Old habits die slowly well, that's, but that's i tend to adjust fine. if i'm talking to someone they're saying pecan then i'll go with the flow i will say there was someone who actually did a survey of this i'm curious who paid for this but apparently 70 percent of americans say pecan oh, it's kind of like the so uh, I'm in and, pop and soda controversy isn't it Exactly. It's tomato, tomato. Exactly Let's right. call the whole thing off, right? Good news. Sarah. I'll say whatever people want me to say as long as you buy our pecan log rolls. And they are delicious as I remember. And our pecan pralines and our pecan divinity and our pecan brittle. We are all about the pecan, and I'll say it however the customer wants it to be said. Just buy it. Spoken like a great businesswoman and, and, and a good politician too, huh? Right? <laughs> That's good. Serve me well. Yes, indeed. So let's talk about how Stuckey's began, first of all. I know that uh, growing up uh, in my generation, uh, like I said, riding in the back of the station wagon. Yeah. Wagon, every time we saw Stuckey's, you know, it's mom and dad, let's stop, let's stop and 
uh, we always got the, the divinity and the, uh, the log rolls and, and, you know, the bathroom stop and all that. So, uh, and the so, kitschy souvenirs, oh, absolutely. Coonskin caps, wee wee willy, Mexican jumping beans. I loved them all. <laughs> shake pens. Somebody was telling me the other day how they would just die for one of those little floaty pens that you yep. tilt back and forth and the car moves or the boat moves or whatever it is. Oh, there's just so much good stuff. By the way, since you mentioned that, are, are those uh, something that is still being sold uh, at your stores? or are Working on it. Working on it? I have a wish list for merchandise that is a 100-page slide deck. It's insane. So we're tackling it slow but surely based on where we can source product at an affordable price. But we're, we are bringing back a lot of those classic nostalgic souvenirs they were part of my childhood i was just like you i was in the woody station wagon i was number five of seven grandchildren my grandfather and i was number four of five kids in my dad's family so i'm used to being around a lot of kids and i was always shoved in the back because i'm low on the pecking order well, at least you didn't get the luggage rack you know that's, uh, that was always the, right? the worst i seat. should be thankful for <laughs> For those, those the, for, 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 it could be so much worse. So, yes, yep. count your blessings. So, the founder story, sorry, I got derailed. Oh, wait, we, I derailed you a little bit, but uh, that's, that's good stuff. Right? Going down that memory lane highway. So, my grandfather started Stuckey's in 1937 during the Great Depression. He was farming cotton. He had to drop out of University of Georgia Law School to work the family farm. No surprise, he hated it. He did not like picking cotton in the July sun in Georgia. Must have been absolutely miserable. They were so poor, they had this mule that was malnourished and it collapsed and he was hoisting up this mule and that was his Scarlett O'Hara, I'll never go hungry again moment where he's just looking up at the sky saying, there's got to be a better life for me. And seriously, like he talks about or talked about that moment where he decided he had got, he had to get out of that situation. And he started going around town asking for a job, any job, just give me a job. Times were tough. And there was a man who owned a pecan shelling plant. There I said it, sorry, (laughs) Mr. Bennett. He said, well, I don't have a job for you, but If you go around the countryside and you buy pecans, pecans, and you sell them to me, you can mark up the price a couple pennies. You can make some extra money that way. So he got a $35 loan from his grandmother, and he borrowed a Model A uh, Ford that he jerry-rigged around to create, kind of make it like a little bit of a truck where you'd have storage space in the back. And he and this uh, man named uh, Joe King, African-American farmhand on the farm, family farm, they drove around the countryside buying up pecans and selling them. And that's how Stucky started, was selling pecans. And he got enough money from that to have his own little roadside stand. It was a shed. And he sold pecans. And he got the bright idea one day to add candy. And he got my grandmother to make candy. She didn't know how to make candy. She got she was playing bridge when he asked her to make candy and she brought all her bridge buddies. They stopped the bridge game. They went in the kitchen and they started experimenting with just classic Southern recipes, divinity, pralines, fudge, and the pecan log roll was a family recipe and they started making candy. And that bridge club 
turned into the candy club and they continued to make candy for like a decade before Stuckey's really got established and was able to get some Bunsen burners and have a little bit of a modified factory. That's so, amazing. And for 35, crazy beginning. A $35 seed money from, uh, yes. wow, that is uh, amazing that that uh, was able to grow into such an iconic brand. And a borrow car. And that man, uh, Joe King, I've tracked down his family because I really was interested in the origins of Stuckey's. And he remained with Stuckey's his entire life, worked with the company, was part of the team from that point forward. He was the employee number one. And there's actually a great picture of Joe and my Mr. King and my dad, grandfather, standing together the 50th anniversary of Stuckey's. It was the centerfold of the of the commemorative newsletter that they put out. So it's kind of a cool story. That is. And I'm really glad that you are revitalizing the company and uh, working to bring it back because uh, certainly the last one I saw uh, was probably 20 years ago in Western Kansas. Yeah. And it was derelict and abandoned. Sad. And it was a sad, uh, sad. view. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad to Fell see Fell out of family doing. hands for decades. So people know it was not, under our watch, my grandfather sold the company before I was born in 1964. It was out of family hands for decades and, frankly, trashed by corporations yeah. that did our brand. There's a series of corporate takeovers, and the brand really faltered as a result, and we had the oil embargo. So road trips in general were in the decline. We peaked when the road trip peaked. We declined when the road trip declined. My grandfather died in 1977. So he was no longer around. Even though he'd sold it, he still remained an influence. He was on the board. But with him gone so often, and a series of takeovers. I've heard so many times. Companies come right? in and take over a, a thriving family business, don't know what they have, don't know what made it great and what they, they bought, what they really had on their hands, and ultimately destroy what the value was of that company, or at least in this case, uh, severely damaged it over the years. All these classic brands we loved that baby boomers would appreciate are were trashed by corporations and some completely obliterated Howard Johnson's. Mm -hmm. Like you said, that's one that immediately comes to mind, but I don't think holiday Inn is the same. Those beautiful marquee signs are gone. Shakey's pizza. I miss the old pizza hut. Speaking of pizza. Wow. I mean, the list goes on and on. Kentucky Fried Chicken. I think Colonel Sanders would be appalled at what Kentucky Fried Chicken has become. Well, you know, I'd read Wendy's. that he was uh, concerned about the. They changed his recipes uh, along the way, and the, the corporation that bought it, and that was a problem for him. No, I, I just, I love Colonel Sanders, and actually, I'm going to go visit his gravesite this week. It's in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I think it's Bowling Green. It's in Kentucky, and I've got it. I've got it on my itinerary to go pay tribute, and it's got a statue of him. Oh my gosh! At the grave site. That would be awesome. So, what what drove the uh, the, the growth initially after your grandfather started uh, the company, and uh, how did it get from that to being such an iconic uh, part of Americana across the country? I think it was a variety of factors, and it's important to note any successful business, there's definitely grit, hard work, good ideas, good partnerships, but there's always an element of luck, and he had all of that. He worked really hard. He was tireless. He was passionate about what he did. He had a great team. He surrounded himself with people who complemented his skill set and who he believed in. He believed in shared ownership. He had a great business model for his stores. It was 
They were all owned by husband and wife teams who lived on site. So if you go to an old store, you'll still see the living quarters in the back. And so there was this real sense of pride with each and every store. They were all individually owned by husband and wife teams. There, there weren't corporate owned stores. So there was this shared ownership. He had ESOPs, employees sharing stock mm-hmm. option, anyway, employee stock option plans before they were really a thing. He was always giving even factory line workers shares in the company. So he built this wonderful business model for someone who had to drop out of college is pretty awe-inspiring. And then there was luck. He came along when the time was good. There were no other roadside retail stores when he started. He was the very first roadside stand or store that offered gas, restrooms, a quick snack. He was like the first C store in the interstate. 7-Eleven was the first convenience store. Sorry for lingo talk that's okay but so he he was the first so that was that was just great timing and then the road trip became phenomenally popular it's how america vacationed in the 50s and 60s post-world war ii during that era of prosperity that so many of us remember and he happened to be around at that time so the timing was great to be a road trip brand so how many stores were there eventually at the high water mark of the company 358 and 40 states, 4,000 billboards. He had a candy company, he had a trucking company, he had a billboard sign painting company. He was largely vertically integrated. He had an amazing deal with Texaco Gas where he got a portion of every gallon sold. The man just, it's amazing. I'm, I'm rediscovering him because I was 12 when he died. And when I bought the company back a year and a half ago, I just started reading through all of his papers and, I knew him as my grandfather. I didn't know him as a businessman. And that business aspect of him came to life for me. And it was just amazing. Like I'm, so I'm doing my best to live up to that. Like so many of the people that came out of that uh, era of the depression and all, they obviously luck does play into it, but they also made a lot of their luck with uh, the hard work and the grit and the determination yeah. that they showed back then. Tough times forge grit. I'm a big believer in that. I think almost if you have things too easily handed to you, you miss out. Yeah, that's, that's very true. So I, I remember a time when the stores were, they seemingly were ubiquitous in my mind. And I know that uh, many of them are gone. You, you talked about the corporate ownership. Were there any other factors that, uh, that played into the uh, decline of the brand and the, um, and the things that happened to the, uh, I guess the franchisees and the store owners uh, around the country, what was the story there? Well, certainly external factors with the Arab oil embargo, people were traveling less. And then there was the airline deregulation act that made domestic air travel affordable. And that passed in the 1980s. So people just weren't traveling and vacationing like they used to. And, People started taking longer trips and not stopping as much. They got better gas mileage, so they weren't pulling over as often. They were just traveling in a different way. And then coinciding with that was the company had been out of our hands. So it was just this perfect storm. And then other competition. Suddenly the, the exits are covered with, Pilot and TA and Loves and Bucky's and Busy Bee and the cha- you know, the major gas stations, mm-hmm. Quick Trip, Racetrack, 
uh, Speedway, the list goes on and on. So there's competition. So there are just so many factors. And I definitely thought long and hard when I was deciding whether I should delve into this career. Like you said, I've been a lawyer and a legislator and I was sustainability director for the city of Atlanta. So I had this whole other career, but I had an opportunity to buy the company from my father. So my dad actually got the company back in 1985, largely the result of litigation from franchisees who were very disgruntled with how the company had been run by the corporation that had taken it over. And they were going to back off the lawsuit if the company got back in family hands. So that largely played a role with us getting the brand back. Uh, My father was running about five companies at the time. And to his credit, he really got stuck. He's back in the family, righted the ship, but he was juggling a lot. Uh, So I think it's fair to say it was not his only priority, but he did so much to get the brand back in decent shape and start, start the revival process. But then he retired a decade ago. He and all his business partners and the brand started to decline again which is when I entered a year and a half ago and his former business partners approached me and asked me if I'd buy out their shares and I bought them out and then I bought out my dad's share. And the great thing is they're all still around. They're retired, but they're all still around and they're available. So I feel like I've got this council of elders to call <laughs> upon. So that, that is uh, one of the things that comes to my mind is, is that the brand equity in Stuckey's and the brand yes. name, it's still there, I think. And that's probably, and for the way I see it, one of your greatest assets, uh, both from a nostalgia uh, perspective, but also uh, people do remember it and uh, uh, the, the jingles and the commercials that yeah. used to be on. So I think that, uh, that that will serve you well. It is our greatest asset, the brand equity. And to be real, what I bought was a brand mm-hmm. because it had been losing money for five years. We have a rented distribution facility. We have no corporate owned stores. We have 65 franchise locations of which only 20 are standalone stores. The remainder are stores within a store where there's a small footprint within an existing chain store usually that has some Stuckey's merchandise. And that's, that was largely what my father did to keep the brand alive. So I've got about 45 of those stores that my father had uh, established those accounts. They're in varying degrees of quality. Some are fabulous. Some are okay. And some are frankly not up to our brand standards. And I'm in the process of working through all that. But what I bought was an amazing brand. Yeah. And to your point, I, I merch, I'm always repping the brand. I wear our merch, our merchandise. And I was at just my local drugstore today, neighborhood drugstore. And I had a Stucky shirt on and the cashier who I've seen many, many times. And we've always just exchanged pleasantries. And she saw the Stuckies and she said, Oh my gosh, your last name's Stucky. Are you related to them? And I you know, told her this, connection yeah. and she proceeded to tell me a story about road trips and visiting her grandmother and going up to Illinois and her favorite store she remembered the exit it was uh, right near Illinois and Wisconsin and all these details and that's what I bought yeah that story tell, that story there tells you I mean the, the brand is remembered and fondly and uh, no matter what the corporation did to it 
It's uh, people Still remember there. the glory days. Yes, yes they, they couldn't do. kill it. And so what I've done to revive the brand, I don't have the capital to buy the franchise locations, unfortunately. But I did get financing from the SBA to purchase a candy plant. Oh, okay. So that's uh, where you manufacture your own candy now. Yeah. Yeah. So we're making our candy again. Frankly, the quality of our product had suffered over the years and we've been outsourcing it for decades. And now we're making our candy again. We bought a pre-existing facility and it's amazing. They've got a great team there and we're actually launching next week. I'm headed up to Indianapolis for the national candy and snack expo, which is as wonderful as it sounds. And we will be handing out samples of our new product line, which is really our old product line. When I say new people, Get very worried that I'm suddenly changing up the pecan log roll recipe. This is not new Coke. We are true to my grandmother's original log roll, but it's going to be made by us again with the absolute best ingredients. That is awesome. And I, you have some control over the quality that way for sure. Um, yes. So without losing the nostalgia factor, but you mentioned like like Bucky's and some of these other uh, roadside stores that are coming into play now. How do you um, keep Stuckey's ready for a new competitive era while keeping the nostalgic factor? Is that a challenge? Absolutely, it's a challenge. I am aware of the competitive landscape, but at the same time, I don't obsess over it. Mm-hmm. I prefer to just focus on what makes us special, unique, and different. We were the OG. We were the original gangsta, as my teenage kids say, of roadside attractions. We were it. We were the first roadside place you could pull over. So we can own that. And we can embrace the nostalgia in a way that's authentic. It's not some new company trying to put some vintage retro images around their store. No, this is us. We, We use our old design graphics and collateral from the 1950s and a lot of what I'm doing today and it's real. So we can speak with such authenticity and there is no replacement for someone's 40 year old memory of traveling in the backseat of a car with their grandparents. No, that's, that's really yeah. strong. Uh, something to, to build on. Yeah, absolutely. So, so talking so, about the modern era too, you, you mentioned the gasoline is uh, Stucky's looking at putting electric charging stations for electric vehicles uh, in place. I get asked that at least five times a day. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm not asking anything new. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm trying. Uh, Here's the challenge. We don't own or operate any of our stores. So we do not control the real estate. You have to control the real estate to say whether or not you can install electric vehicle charging infrastructure onto your site. Add to that that a lot of our locations are stores within a store. So we just have a tiny little footprint inside the store, not even in the parking area. Of the 20 standalone stores, none of which we own, only about half of those are even owned by the franchisees. So the rest rent from a landlord. So you got to get the landlord's permission. And the EV charging companies charge you to install their infrastructure. The oil companies, the gas companies, will usually pay for all of the gas infrastructure. Uh So these roadside retail operations are used to full service, turnkey ready gas surface. So whether you're with BP or Sunoco or Amoco or Chevron or 
you know, any of the other gas companies, they will come in, they will put in the gas tanks, they will put in the pumps, they will put in the canopy, they will pay for all of that. And so when I call some of our franchisees and ask them, hey, will you consider spending a couple thousand dollars to put in an EV charging station when they are, frankly, having a hard time just keeping cash flow? It's a really, really hard yeah. proposition. And I chance. drive an EV, so I am all in on this, but it's that's the challenge. The one opportunity I've seen is we have a handful of stores that are owned by the owners and, or the franchisee owns the store and Tesla will pay for their charging infrastructure. Okay. A modest copay from the, from the owner. Uh, and Tesla also pays the electric bills. That's the other thing you have to get. You have to be ideally near a substation because they suck up a tremendous amount of power and it's not just the charging infrastructure for the, mm. for the actual charger, but it's all the electricity. So all of the conduits and the wiring. So you often have the power company. You have to have an agreement with the power company. You have to have a special hookup. And then somebody's got to pay that power bill. Yeah. It's, it's one of the big challenges it's of building out infrastructure. It's complicated. So I'm just... I'm not, and we're small, scrappy comeback brand. So, and, and frankly, this is totally me being not, uh, it's being me uh, financially sustainable, less environmentally sustainable, but we make our profit off of the sale of our product. We make very little money off of our licensing fees. So the, the chances of us making a huge amount of money over EV charging in the stores direct cash flow for a, for a tremendous amount of effort, tremendous amount of effort. Uh, right now, when we're struggling to get the company profitable, the best I can do is connect people with Tesla and say, if you're in one of their charging des- deserts, Tesla might be interested. And we are looking at two locations. Okay. I'm sorry. I know that was very lengthy, but it is complicated. It's great to say you should have EV charging, but the details are, uh, very complex. Yeah, no, and you've got to survive financially, like you say, to, to yeah. get to the rest of it someday. And I know that's a big challenge across the country is the infrastructure and particularly rolling out the uh, charging stations. I would love it, though, because yeah. people will stop longer. They usually charge about 30 minutes. So it's it's longer than a fill your car up with gas. So those folks are going to come inside the stores and spend money, presumably. And a lot of times when people pay at the pump they don't even come in the stores that's one of the big challenges when you have a roadside retail operation they'll just pump at you know pay at the pump and then they drive off well i will uh, i know you got a lot on your plate today so i won't hold you much longer <laughs> i do have one more question though you mentioned the uh, uh travel by air you know air, air tickets are cheaper nowadays people taking longer trips uh and this may be something someone's asked you before too but do, can we look forward to maybe stucky's products or shops in uh, airport terminals I've thought about that. It, it, that gets complicated too, because quite often the airports are owned by municipalities. So it goes through an, an RFP request for proposal process and the procurement process for a city, which can be yeah. hundreds and hundreds of pages long in a bid. So more likely scenario is I have done some preliminary had some preliminary conversations with vendors that are established in airports to see if they will carry Stucky products without mm-hmm. us having 
a standalone stocking store. And then we have to pay the rent and we have to pay for staffing. Yeah, and then, and then we have cheap. to manage. So right now, to get us into uh, airports, well, I have two things. One, I would love for our pecans to be a snack on flights. Yeah. So that's one area I'd love to pursue. And I've, I've had some very, very preliminary conversations. And then the other is seeing if a Newport News or Hudson News, you know, some of the chains that you see, and uh, parody parody stores, some of those mm-hmm. chains you see in airports, if they would just carry Stucky's product. Yeah, that would be a, a good scenario, I think, right there. To get right. the product and the brand out there in front of people and let everybody know it's still around. And speaking of letting everyone know it's still around, before we go, Stephanie, uh, if somebody's interested in learning more about what you're doing or where they can find uh, a Stucky's location where they can get product or, or anything like that, what should they do? Easy, Stuckies.com. That's it. Easy there. And then on that site, you'll see a link to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. And most of those are going to be just Stuckies Corp or Stuckies Pecans because somebody got the Stuckies name before us. And I'm all of my social media handles are at Stucky Stop. Okay. So Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn is under my name, Facebook's under my name, but uh, I post a lot about road trips and Stuckies and roadside attractions and nostalgia and nostalgic candy. So if you're interested in any of that, follow me awesome. and I often follow back. That is terrific. I, I sure enjoy our conversation today and I thank you. I know you're very busy and I, I thank you for taking some time to talk with us today. And uh, we thank hope you. you have the best of luck in the revitalization there. And I look forward to visiting a Stucky's location someday soon. Oh, I hope so. Happy travels. Thank you. Our guest has been Stephanie Stucky, the CEO of Stucky's Corporation. This is the Boomers and More podcast. More when we return. And we are back. Welcome back into the Boomers and More podcast. I'm Randy Kendrick, and with me is... Bob Heidi. And Bob and I are talking about road tripping it back in the 50s and 60s, and uh, we sure enjoyed the stories that uh, Stephanie Stuckey was telling us. That was uh, quite an interesting history of the company and how her grandfather started that with just a $35 loan, and uh, it's quite an amazing story. And she is aware of the challenges ahead of her. Obviously, the competitive landscape now, uh, and she mentioned this, is quite different than it was back in the uh, times that Stuckey's was really hitting every exit along the highway, it seemed. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. nowadays, I, I, the last Stuckey's I saw, I think I mentioned this to her, was uh, somewhere in western Kansas, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, and it was vacant and run down. And uh, that's one of the things she cites is, um, giving her some drive to try to restore the business back to at least some semblance of where it was and uh, get that going again. She does have a challenge, and I certainly wish her the best on that. I do, too, and I, I really admire her for for wanting to do that, uh, to take something that had fallen from from grace, so to speak. And, uh, you know, she's she kind of, I think, has a defensive uh, attitude about you know, her family's business and wanting to bring it back. Yeah. And I, I really respect that. She has a also a very impressive resume. And if anybody can do it, I think she can. Yeah, I think she's uh, she's well-equipped for the 
task at hand. It's just a matter of uh, getting things uh, back and, and rolling again. And, and uh, I've mentioned to her that the brand equity of Stuckey's, I think, still has a lot of value, both from a nostalgia standpoint and uh, the ability to bring that nostalgia part of it back. I mean, I just think back on the highway. One of the things that I uh, loved and I first had tasted at a Stuckey's was the uh, Divinity, the Pecan Divinity. I just uh, mm-hmm. love that. And also the Pralines and uh, uh, their signature item, the uh, Pecan Log Roll. Uh, and her mentioning that they had gotten a hold of a candy plant now. They've purchased a candy plant, so they have better quality control and they're making their own candy again, which is uh, uh, going to allow her to bring back some quality that uh, she believes probably slipped during some of the outsourcing and corporate ownership of the uh, Stuckey's brand. Absolutely. And I, again, I really admire her for doing that because it's just, you know, in this day and age with, uh, you know, the competitive attitude that's out there, I think that uh, quality suffers sometimes. And so I think that getting that candy uh, back to a quality point is is a good idea, and I think it will really, really help with their reemergence. Yeah, so often when there's a corporate takeover, the quality does lift. The uh, the passion and the the love for the business and their product isn't there. It's just another asset on a balance sheet somewhere. That's right. It becomes a matter of cash flow and uh, making stockholders happy somewhere, you know. But uh, I think she's going about this in in, in all the right ways. Yeah, and uh, the fact is that uh, so many of their locations now are located within other stores, basically a store within a store or just you know having their product available um, mm-hmm. is uh, going to help them uh, get back at least to profitability and maybe she can grow from there. So again, we wish her all the best on that. The landscape now, of course, is quite different in the competitive arena with all the different stores that are out of the exit, all the convenience stores that she had mentioned and that Stuckey's was the first convenience store along the highway. And uh, she did mention 7-Eleven was there probably before, but uh, they were more in in towns and cities. And that uh, Stuckey's actually owned the highway as far as, uh, as rest stops and uh, places to get gasoline, clean restrooms, pick up some snacks and some souvenirs. And those are all things that I think people who are driving still want. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of things that we miss. I mean, it used to be you'd pull into a gas station and uh, uh, you'd have the attendant come out. They'd check the oil, check the air pressure in the tires and uh, uh, windshield fluid and uh, all the other things while the gas is pumping. And so you had full service. You didn't have to get out and pump your own gas. And one of the services that was provided back then uh, were free roadmaps. I really miss those. Well, you're you're a... I know you. I know you miss those because you're a map enthusiast. Always have uh, been. Yeah. Uh-huh. I I can remember you talking about them when we were working together in broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. I, I would go in from the time I was very small. I was basically the navigator uh, when we were traveling cross country, and I would go into the gas stations. We'd go to a new state. I would pick up the maps. Uh, in those days, you know, we didn't have GPS or. Google Maps or Waze or any of this other stuff. We had the maps and you'd add up the miles between the red dots along the route and plot the fastest route. And uh, uh, so there was, uh, there was a real job. And I, <laughs> I did that. Uh, it took an interest in it at quite an early age. Yeah, that, that's that's always amused me that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I can just picture you now in the in the back of the car with your, your maps unfolded. And uh, the only thing that uh, that I 
don't picture is, you know, only because of the technology not existing at the time, but with a calculator trying to put it all together. Yeah, we we didn't have that. It was all manually adding things up, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, there's one. In Did you have an adding machine in the car? No, it was just uh, just pencil and paper back in those days. Oh, you mean you were using your brain? Yeah, I could actually do that, and I did it. Uh, then you have to use a, an abacus, and I, I once in a while, you know, maybe had to take off my uh, shoes and socks to get enough uh, digits to count up the miles. But uh, <laughs> thinking, wow, what yeah. a concept! Yeah, that that that's something that can make a comeback as well. <laughs> yes, believe me. And you know, I those, hear you. those roadmaps—they were like absolute works of art. Some of them. Uh, I've got some of the maps still that I. I just uh, got from my uh, late mom and dad's house that uh, they had saved all these years. I mean, I've got hundreds of maps, things from the, the New York World's Fair. and uh, uh, the, But the uh, ones I think are the most interesting were the maps that Chevron put out uh, back in the 50s and 60s uh, for Southern California. They had just uh, really beautiful artwork on the front of the map showing a point of interest in that particular city that the map was for or in that state mm-hmm. or whatever. Exactly. I can remember being a little guy and, and first, uh, you know, really taking a, a, a really good look at a map and, and being uh, very surprised to see that the pictures that were on the front of that map were places that I was very familiar with as a child in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got an old Texaco map of Baltimore in my collection. So. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, when you look back at those things, I mean, there was no Chesapeake Bay Bridge tunnel. If you look in the Maryland map, and I, I can still remember the, the maps that you got at gas stations for that part of the country. There were always four states on that map. There were Maryland, uh, West Virginia, Virginia, and uh, Delaware, all on a single map. Mm-hmm. And whereas, mm-hmm. you know, some states like, like Texas or California, you had uh, front and back to, you know, split the state up. But uh, uh, with those states, we're talking about, about uh, you know, going seven, 800 miles and still being in the same state. Whereas uh, exactly. in the mid-Atlantic, you, you can cover that same distance and travel through, you know, three or four or five states. Exactly. Okay. Uh, well, I think this has uh, been an interesting discussion. Again, I'd like to thank Stephanie Stuckey for her indulging us with some of her remembrances and recollections and what she's doing now, where she's taking Stuckey's and uh, what her plans are for the future of that. Well, I'm, I'm just delighted at the idea that she has, and I wish her nothing but the very best, because I'd love to see that come roaring back. Again, uh, we appreciate it, and we'll be back uh, with the next broadcast with another interesting guest that we've got lined up. So until then, I'm Randy Kendrick. And I'm Bob Heidi. And we will see you in the next episode of the Boomers and More podcast. Until then. Thank you for uh, taking the time to listen. Absolutely. Bye, everybody. Bye.